0: Thanks to Cryer Malt, producing premium malt for 25 years. This is Radio Brews News. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me on the podcast this week are the editor of Australian Brews News and the uncoverer of the stories that make the beer community sit up and take notice, James Atkinson, and the founder and first editor of Australian Brews News and the man who brought good beer to 400,000 Queenslanders last week at the Ecker, Matt Kierkegaard. James, welcome. G'day, Prof. Good to be here. Thanks, mate. Thanks for joining us. Matt, Welcome. Thanks,
1: Prof. Uh, mate. Thank you very much for coming up and joining me in Brisbane last week, and uh, it was lovely to have you as a uh, house guest.
0: Mate, our arms are tired, aren't they? All that pulling those, <laughs> <Yeah>. that, like <laughs> shaking hands with the with Queensland's great unwashed. No, I shouldn't say that. Uh, look, four hundred odd thousand. I don't know if the if the numbers have come in yet, Matt. But the echo seemed. Uh, bigger, brighter, and better than ever. Um, and this year, our offering, we offered a few more beers. And can I just tell you, Matt, I, I just, it just occurred to me as a thought during the week that if five years ago, when you and I literally were unpacking our card tables and and, and putting bottles of beer into a fridge, if, if somebody had said to me, mate, in five years' time, you will have 20 taps in the Woolworths Fresh Food Pavilion, providing a range of of beers and ciders, Uh, and that people will buy those beers from you using their wristwatch to pay i would have said fuck off you're mad and yet
1: it's happening (laughs) yeah well exactly you know we i think we had four breweries and eight bottled beers the first year and this year we had 20 taps of uh of, of beer and cider and uh um, had people very, very keen to try it. So, no, it was very, very exciting. And as you said, you know, paying for it on their
0: watches. Yeah. And, and I think probably the most incredible thing um, that I'd like to share with the with our listeners is that um, it, it really does highlight how we in the, in the, you know, in, in the craft bubble are really in a bubble because there are so many people out there who have never heard of stone and wood who have never heard of a, a Kolsch or, uh, you know, who don't know the difference between, uh, say a, I'll well, sorry, 50 Lashes, because that's what they all call it up there, um, a, as a pale ale, and Cooper's uh, green or uh, pale ale as a pale ale, or um, a feral hop hog, not knowing that you know, that's all kind of encompassed in the in the same category. And sharing that knowledge I think was was probably the biggest takeaway for me.
1: Mate, uh, that, that's the thing. and it, it, it's my views about craft beer have really been shaped by you know us doing those sorts of events. you know it's fine to go along to a beer festival and pour beer to people who are there to broaden their existing knowledge. It's a, it's another experience entirely to go to an event where people aren't used to craft beer, and when they come up, you can tell that they're looking at these beers, that they're looking for a safe holder race down in terms of a secure brand that they know, and there's nothing there that they know. And you you, you know the, the first question that we asked, and I heard you ask it over and over again as well, Prof, is you know what do you normally drink? And when they're saying something like you know, as you said a pale ale and calling it 50 lashes you know, to them, that is a pale ale. Um, and, you know, it's, it's it's a fairly innocuous pale ale by craft beer standards, but you need to listen to them. And, you know, they're not actually asking for pale ale, they're asking for a beer that they know, or if they come up asking for Han Super Dry or Forex, and trying to get them into the craft beer world or, you know, some of these flavours is, is a really interesting challenge. And, you know, I've, I've said on the podcast for the last, you know, couple of episodes that I really don't think... Craft beer is as deeply into, you know, in the beer drinking community as a lot of people who uh, you know,
0: want it to be um, think think it is. Yeah, no, hundred percent, and and it's really interesting that the sort of uh, the the willingness that that people have um, who have no idea about these particular brands or styles or breweries, um, but in that kind of environment, in a you know a the fresh food pavilion at at a show where it's kind of. They're coming in already knowing. Well, we get to sample, we get to try something new, we get to discover something. It kind of breaks down those barriers that that perhaps in their local, um, it's a little bit harder. Or if they go into a you know a, a an inverted commas craft dedicated bar, it can be a lot more um, intimidating for them. And I think that's the. That was the key thing for us was that it's just – and brewers, marketers, beer reps, 90% of the battle is just getting the liquid in their hands. So once they've actually got it and they take a sip and they go, well, I've just said Corona or I've just said uh, 2 Is Extra Dry or whatever it might be. And they try a um, a Green Beacon Colch and they go, yeah, that's all right. Fill that up. You go, okay, there's a win because it's not, okay, this craft stuff is, is not for me. It's like, yeah, that tastes like what I'm used to. Uh, so it's really nice to sort of yeah break down those barriers that 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 we perhaps sometimes put up.
1: Yeah, and and look, the the one other thing before we we move on, and it, I think it's a real problem that the industry needs to um, at least identify is that you know whilst people under 30, um, the the craft beer natives that I call them, you know, have grown up with craft beer and they're 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 quite a, you know quite comfortable um, with broad definitions of style. If you're over 45, a lot of the people who are over 45 are quite senior in their professions now. They have a, you know, a good level of knowledge around a, a broad range of topics. And they like to think that they know about things. And yet they know very little bit about beer. And they also don't want to ask because that highlights that they don't know a lot about it. And that's a, a you know, they're a big part of the beer drinking public. But they're not necessarily willing to show their lack of knowledge um, because of what it says about them, and uh, you know, getting out and giving them an opportunity at an experimental event like the Echo. Was a great way for them to do it in a very soft way, in, in, in a very general way, where they could ask their questions and, and taste it without feeling that they didn't know a, a great deal about it. Yeah, exactly. And I think,
0: look, we're probably we probably are winning as well because the number of people who come back each year and say, "Oh, you know, what have you got this year? What's you know, what's different? What's new?" Um, you know, I remember the stuff I had last year. So you've got to guess or assume that perhaps they are also drinking more widely. Uh, in between times, it's not just, uh, you know, like a beer festival occasion where it comes in and they, they drink it then, but then when the when the circus leaves town, they, uh, you know, they, they go back to their normal habits until next year. Uh, now, so reading the winds of, of change, um, in that vein,
2: James, have you met Iron Jack yet? Um, I've met him. I haven't actually uh, tried him yet, but um, I do have <laughs> a couple of bottles on my desk. Uh, in the office that I haven't gotten to yet, along with a bunch of other beers that I haven't gotten around to tasting yet. Um, yeah,
0: mate, so despite the fact that it's in a clear glass bottle, I thought you would have not left them on the desk. I thought they'd be, uh, you know, in the fridge, being treated the same as milk.
2: Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't uh, drink anything that comes out of brown bottles, or it It's, it's got to be clear or green. <laughs> um, but for the uninitiated, Iron Jack is a mid-strength modern Australian lager inspired by long-held Australian values such as loyalty, strength, and mateship. The story of Iron Jack is inspired by a fabled Australian outdoorsman known for telling their mates a tall tale around a warm campfire with a cold beer. And if you wanted to sum that up more briefly, it's basically uh, an alternative to Great Northern Super Crisp. Very similar looking beer, clear bottle, uh, lifestyle beer for blokes in the great outdoors, four-wheel driving and fishing. Um, and it's yeah, it's basically Lion's attempt to try and get back some of the ground they've lost uh, from Forex Gold to CUB with the contemporary mid-strength option. Sorry, right. well, sorry
0: super- just going back a bit there, James. Um, I thought it was a, a new startup brewery, isn't it, the, the Legendary Brewing Company?
2: Well, they have created a uh, new um, year trademark, the Legendary Brewing Company, which seems to suggest that they will potentially be adding new beers under that umbrella in the future. There you go. So it is actually lime? Yep, it's lime. And yep. tall tall tales
0: around a campfire. Isn't that a furphy? Yeah, I suppose it is. Somebody it's mentioned it's that they already kind of had that beer. We were discussing this during the week, and this is, um, I guess, admitting that the 4X – oh, sorry, Summer Bright Lager, uh, formerly labelled quite clearly as 4X Summer Bright Lager, hasn't quite done what they hoped it would do?
1: Yeah, mate.
0: Look, it, it's one of those funny things, I think, you know, as beer lovers,
1: we like to think that the liquid is what wins out, but you, can, you, you just can't discount the, the, the role that marketing plays because if anyone can taste the difference between Great Northern and Summer Bright Lager, um, you know, on a regular basis, they're a much better palate than just about anyone I know. Um, and yet Great Northern has completely gone streets ahead. And it, I think it really comes down to that branding thing. Um, you 4 know, is a little bit of an old brand and it hasn't really resonated... Um, the forex summer bright lager had a lot of uh, line extensions with fruit that apparently um, the feedback i've been getting from people in regional queensland has feminized the brand a little bit and i think that's what line is now going for with this you know really sort of overly masculine brand and uh, my my tip incidentally is that we're going to see an iron jack float at the mardi gras because it is so <laughs> masculine it is so almost to the point of being butch it's almost homoerotic um you know, with this chiseled, tight shirt-wearing uh, cowboy, um, that I, I think they've had the insight that they needed to masculate the brand, but they've just gone so far that it's almost ridiculous. And uh, a lot of people in the industry have written it off. But when I was speaking to somebody in the industry who uh, comes from a marketing background and has done a lot of market development for beers, and I made that point to him, he said, "Oh, look, I, I agree with you, the one hope that they've got is that they, uh, you know, appeal to the kind of guys who buy a um, Hilux ute because, you know, you've got those ute ads that really appeal to the tradie, the really blokey bloke tradie who can fix things. And there's a whole lot of people who wear, you know, collars and ties to work during the week, but they love driving around on weekends, um, you know, going to the hardware shop and getting to throw their plastic watering can into the back of a big ute because it makes them feel um, like they too are a you know, man who works with their hands. He just said, you know, maybe there is some hope for the brand if it appeals to that sort of personality. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I tend to think that it's making too much of a, a – people who actually wear Western hats and have working dogs are going to think it's a piss take on them or a, you know, a village people rendition of, of their lifestyle.
0: Well, certainly if they um, – yeah, if Iron Jack changes his RM Williams for a pair of arseless chaps and ends up in Oxford Street <laughs> next year, then um, we'll put that down in the uh, in the prediction book and we'll see how
2: that one goes. To your point, though, uh, Matt, that, you know, Forex Summer Bright Lager hasn't done the business – for them, it, I mean, Forex Summer Bright Lager, from my understanding, has never been presented as an alternative to um, Forex Gold or to Great Northern. It's, I mean, for starters, it's not mid-strength, and the other thing is that the way they market it and the way they target it is very much for Gen Ys, and uh, you know that that's that's sort of where they see that brand as being positioned. Now, I know what you're saying in reply to that, which is that um, the average person would not know the difference between the liquid. In the bottle, um, and that's true, but they still do have target these uh, very similar lagers to very distinct um, audiences.
1: Yeah, which takes my point about marketing, you know, that it's not the liquid in the bottle because if you can take the same liquid and market it very successfully to three different groups who won't then pick up the other brand that's marketed to somebody else and enjoy it, then the marketers have done, you know, done the magic because they've made it taste different because it's in a different bottle, yeah. even though it tastes fundamentally the same. And, and, and that's, yeah, so, so that's bottom. Actually, and, and, and the interesting thing about um, Summer Bright Lager is, you know, it was one that the only redeeming character I saw about it when they launched Summer Bright Lager, um, God, I mean, that must be six or seven years ago, because it predated Great Northern by a couple of years, was that they were moving away from the very blokey, they were targeting under 30s, and if you remember the ads when they first came out, it could almost have been a Coke commercial because there were young men and young women partying on, you know, on a roof at sunset. The rooftop
0: garden. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and men and women were being treated, uh, treated equally. Um, they, you know, it was different to the four blokes sitting around the campfire that traditional Forex brands um, went. And... Uh, yeah you know, there've been a lot of people who have been criticizing lion for their very masculine uh, approach and that you know saying that beer isn't for women but you could almost make the argument that when lion tried to make a beer that was about men and women not only did it not attract women but it also alienated men um, so i don't know what the marketing insight to to draw from that is because i still think that forex summer Bright, lager was bedevilled by the fact that it carried the Forex brand and it wasn't just launched as Summerbright Lager. But, um, yeah, no, James, you, you, to your point, I think you're spot on.
2: Yeah, it was It uh, It was. It was sort of created to take on Corona when Lion didn't have Corona. And then when Lion got Corona, it disappeared to the background. And then when they lost Corona, um, it was like, Forex Summerbright Lager's back. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but that in itself is an interesting thing
1: about how you have – Um, you know just the decisions that brewers have to make that you know well we've got Corona which is you know still the largest import beer one of the biggest selling beers I think it's got something like six or seven percent of the market alone so Corona outsells every craft beer in in, in the country and that it's such a big brand that they put their own brand on hold which killed it which uh, a couple of years ago Do you remember when Big Helga um, was starting to get traction for Matilda Bay, CUB brought out Han, no, it wasn't Han White, they they brought out their Pure Blonde White, which was a mainstream play at Whitbeer. And so all of the reps took off. Helga was the tap that they cannibalised, so they killed Helga's growth for a product that was Dilborn,
0: yeah and at the same time put on another three lagers with um, the minimum chips and well, i suppose ruby tuesday was a, a darker lager and then yeah the ducks and all the other brands as well that's the kind of um that, that smothered helga um so big beer certainly working hard to uh i guess put the gloss um i will not say polish their turds because that, that's probably a little bit unfair but, uh, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> I've gotten in trouble for, uh, yeah, for the lipstick on it, a
1: pig comment. Yeah. in the past, Well, just prof.
0: remember, yeah, 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 to everyone who says you can't polish a turd, no, that's right, but you can roll it in glitter. Um, but Matt, the gloss yes. is coming off craft beer. Discuss. Yeah, oh, it was just something I shared this morning, Prof, and we're recording this
1: on Thursday, the twenty fourth of August. Um, just an article. You know, we, we have started to see the media reporting on the closings in 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 the US and the sales and you know Sierra Nevada which has been constantly growing for 20 odd years reported its first volume decline and that is a fairly substantial volume decline of over seven and a half percent so yeah you know it's one of those things that I I guess you could say that well you know you're being critical and you're knocking craft beer which isn't at all but I think some of these more sobering reporting um, balances out what I sometimes see is the unbridled hubris of, of craft beer and when you see so many people and you know, the, the number of people you meet when you go to a beer festival who are in active planning stages for a brewery mm. and when you sort of say, look, there are already a lot of breweries and they'll say, well, there's only 450, you know, I'll be the 451st as if they're going to be the 451st and last um where when you see some of these stories coming out of the states where guys who you know are now 3 and 4 years old they had great launches they had great um success yeah but that was when they were the 4000th brewery in the in the states now that there's 5500 they're saying oh, all of the new guys are stealing our sales yeah so so I, I just shared that because we we are seeing um some of that and the flip side of the article I shared today uh, on Facebook is that the brands that seem to be growing quite strongly are the ones that have uh, been purchased by the big brewers.
0: Yeah, they're the ones that are getting traction. Um, James, we were talking a little bit off air uh, about one in particular.
2: Um, Sorry, was Island, that enough of a hint that, for you? That one? Yeah. yeah, can you draw that diagram that you draw for me sometimes? <laughs> uh, <Prop? laughs> Tell us about um, Goose Island. <laughs> well, I think I think we were just talking about um, the British IPA style and, and um, the fact that Goose IPA has launched um, in Australia now that they've managed to, you know, they're happy with the beer that they're making in um, in Tassie at Cascade. Uh, and I just um, think it's going to be interesting to see how that beer goes because it's not, it's not um, even though Goose Island is an American brand, it's not an American-style IPA. Um, it's always been entered into competitions as a British-style IPA, and it's got um, predominantly a British hop bill, So, it's sort of got that a bit of that earthiness about it, although it's kind of got a really nice, like marmalade kind of um, aroma uh, that's not all British IPAs do. But anyway, I just noticed that people there were already people online who tried it on tap and said, Oh, it's oxidized. And I sort of get the feeling that they're going to that beer thinking it's going to be an American IPA with, you know, citrus. Um, pine, tropical aromas jumping out of the glass, and instead they're getting a different experience. Um, And, you know, British IPAs have not done very well um, in Australia overall. I'm pretty sure James Squire's deleted um, their British, their English IPA, I think it was the Stowaway. Stowaway. Yeah, I think that's actually gone in the last 12 months just because uh, people didn't really understand it. and it'll just be interesting to see how Goose IPA goes, just because yeah, it's just it's just a, a different style of IPA to what people expect.
0: Because yeah, I can tell you that Matt and I discovered um, from more than one source. That people up in in Queensland know the brand because they walk in and they see the gooseneck, literal gooseneck um, handle, and and there's kind of a little bit of yeah, know what? Oh, pull that handle and give me whatever comes out because it, it, it it's it's very catchy. Perhaps more so than a you know a tap deckle or a you know a a, a blackboard font or, or that sort of thing.
2: So we're going to see an arms race for um you know big handles like they have in the US. Then you reckon?
1: Well, is it yeah. All right, look, I, I'm surprised it hasn't happened already. Yeah, I know hawkers have got a,
0: a beautiful range of, um, of you know, handcrafted um, from from I think it's from I'm going to say from scrap wood, but it's like a, a mixture of, of timbers that are all sort of laminated together and then and then carved, and then the you know the hawkers' name. So that, but they're all the same. So it just tells you that that is a, a hawkers tap, but it is that it's uh, I'm going to say so maybe 20 centimetres. Whereas I guess most of your, your tap handles are what you know, ten or ten or twelve centimetres, you know, like a, a basically a a fist width um, high. Um, so the hawkers then jumps up again. The goose island is is bigger again. So yeah, I I think certainly that it all comes into that marketing kind of thing.
2: And I'll tell you what, when I've been in in when I was in the states earlier this year, you can be. Um, you know somewhere a long long way away from the bar and see that goose and it's, it does stand out it's you immediately know that that beer's on tap from right across the other side of the pub or even from outside the pub you can kind of look in and see that goose so there is there is certainly something in there
0: yeah so well worth um if you haven't if you haven't seen matt's article um i'd recommend you go and uh, and have a look at it because it, it does put a few things in perspective the, the interesting thing that comes from that is when you hear that james squire has deleted their english pale their,
1: their english ipa and you're not seeing that style gain traction. When people look back at historical beer styles and say, you know, how did wit beer ever die out or how did this ever die out? We're actually seeing how uh, organically developing beer is. And, uh, you know, styles 15 years ago, um, uh, something like Feral Hop Hog was regarded as as a big beer. These days they've changed it to, to being a pale ale because styles change as taste change and then you do see styles die out and get completely lost
2: yeah absolutely
0: yeah and even yeah you know, we look at uh, you, you talk about wit beer and, and pierre cellis um kind of uh Salice kind of brought you know reinvigorated that with with hookarden um you know what's that 30 years ago now or so um same thing with you know porter um which was the biggest beer uh, sort of the beer of the industrial revolution, but then was overtaken, you know, when refrigeration came in and uh, all of a sudden, you know, lager was king. So we're going to see that, um, you know, sours at the moment. Uh, maybe they die off next. They're the next ones to kind of, you know, wither on the vine and, and uh, remain as, as as specialties with those particular breweries that that really love making them or, or whose um, who's fans really love uh, drinking them. Watch this space. Uh, what do we talk about next, boys? Uh, actually, look while we're um, let's let's just drop the news, uh, break up the news a little bit with um, a bit of a, I guess a beer of the week um, would be the way to describe it because we've been, just been talking about British IPAs um, and and British pale ales, and we were lucky enough to sup on a couple of very very nice examples over the last couple of weeks. Um, James, I think you've ha- you've tried have you tried the Stone and Wood
2: Forefathers, which honors uh, Blair Hayden. I did try it last night, actually. Um, so it's a 5.6% English pale ale um, with the addition of bergamot tea. I don't know whether that's distinct from earl grey tea, but bergamot is what gives earl grey its distinctive um, aromatics. So, yeah, it's it's actually – I think it's a really nice beer. It, it's, it's like, um, you know, like a lot of English uh, ale styles. They're just sort of a bit more understated and – it's probably not going to hugely appeal to, you know, fans of XPAs and IPAs and stuff like that. But but um, it's got, you know, some some sort of really subtle floral aromatics from the tea. Um, when I met with Blair Hayden yesterday, uh, he actually said that he thought they should have added more in hindsight. Um, but, but yeah, he's, he's happy with how the beer came up and I reckon it's a nice drink.
0: And so he should be. And I'll tell you what, we talk about subtlety. You mentioned subtlety. Nuance. Um, sometimes, uh, uh, and I, what I found myself, because I had the same, I had my first last night as well, and I found myself really looking into the glass because, the, okay, there's nothing sort of, you know, super punchy or or obvious that's jumping out at me to say, here I am. So I found myself kind of getting a little bit introspective and and really trying to listen to the beer's story and, and found when i you know sipped and concentrated uh which is, it's okay to do every now and then that yeah you've got that subtlety i'm not a big bergamot fan um I, I don't drink tea um although all my family uh all the girls do drink pearl gray or lady gray so um i'm kind of familiar with the with the aromas so for me that was the that was the joy in that beer was sort of going you know what this is this is really kind of subtle and nuanced and and i'm not suggesting that you need to have a particularly, uh, you know, uh, developed palate to appreciate it, um, but certainly if you're just going to throw it down and expect it to, to do all the work for you, you will be disappointed.
2: Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, to that point about Earl Grey tea in a beer, I really don't like the Yeasty Boys Gonna Matter, because um, that, I mean, if you want to try a beer that's got a real big hit of Earl Grey in it, uh, yeah, that's that's quite extreme and, and I it's, just find that too much. <laughs> it's all about the Earl Grey. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I I can't stand
1: it. See, I love that beer.
2: It's going to be a polarizing yeah, thing, you know. Well, like I love it, it's just it's sort of like if, if you like and 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 Earl and Grey and tea, then it's and it's, and you know, it's going to be your
0: favorite beer.
1: Very much so, and which not, is why the beer world is yeah, wonderful. Exactly,
0: and not knowing uh, specifically that that was the beer we were tasting, but assuming that it was, I was on a table two years ago at the Australian International Beer Awards where we had a an IPA, and the brewer's notes were you know flavored with Earl Grey tea. Three of the of the judges. Absolutely loved it. Three absolutely didn't, and we couldn't find a middle ground. And it was just one of those things. It, it ended up going to another table to get to get rejudged because we said, look, if you love um, that Earl Grey T character, then yes, you would love that. And, and so, both, was it judges the judges? Those three
2: the judges, judges and the judges that yep. were saying they didn't, um, you know, that 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 they didn't like it, was it just that they thought that it was out of balance with the rest of yeah, the? Yeah, yeah. It was
0: too for us. It was too much um it was just too much earl grey and it it took away it took away from the underlying beer so that was for that reason we we kind of knocked it down but the others said no but we love the earl grey tea that's why we you know talked it up so it's yeah it it just goes to show there's a there's a you know a fine line and a lot of luck um between getting just the right balance um and and kind of perhaps you know overcooking the chook absolutely Um, yeah uh in addition to the forefathers, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I received in the mail, thanks to the Lord Nelson again, um, their seasonal ale, um, a, a new sort of seasonal release, which is a, a British IPA, which again I thought was an absolute cracker. Quite different to the um, to the forefathers, but um, but certainly uh, a worthy compatriot. Have you guys had yeah, it? Yeah,
2: yeah, really good, really great beer. Really enjoyed it. Um, kind of. To a certain extent, I mean, it is a very different beer to the forefathers, but kind of d- did own my previous comments that people who who go to it uh, seeing IPA on the label and expecting it's going to be like the American IPAs like, like they like are probably going to be disappointed. But if you go into it knowing that it's it's an English style IPA, it's just a beautiful beer. It's really, really lovely,
0: and it really shows the um, the danger of having that I guess narrow world view of of what an IPA should be. For my personal experience, my introduction to IPA was Worthington White Shield. So for me, it was all about um, that English classic English style, um, and having the you know the big bold malt, having the the hop sitting on top, but but not necessarily being pellet shredding, and then later on being introduced to uh, you know feral hop hogs or uh, probably to an extent alpha, uh, although that was a you know a pale ale, but certainly in that let's let hops sing kind of category. Yeah, there's a danger in sort of not knowing. Where where the where today's modern very popular styles um, have have originated from, uh, and then and then using that as your, I guess your, you know your marking system for for all beers that follow. Not knowing that, yeah, you know what, there, there are some other types of IPA. It's a, it's a broad category. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Matt, we were uh, lucky enough to be able to also curate or not curate, but um, but man. Um, some beers from Lion at the at the Ecker, uh, being the the Porridge Rights sponsor. One of which was uh, we had four beers from Byron Bay Brewery.
1: Yeah, mate, and the Byron Bay Brewery is a brewery that I have a little bit of history with. Um, obviously going back to the <laughs> CUB. That's donuts. why I threw
0: it to you. <laughs> yes. Did you like that juicy lob?
1: <laughs> I did. But yes, and uh, we, we we did uh, have uh, four of the taps. Um, were provided by Byron Bay um, Beers. And Prof, you and I both saw that their Hazy One Lager um, sold spectacularly well. Um, It was a beer that anyone who tried pretty much bought another one of. So they're making some very nice beers. You and I uh, both enjoyed it. Um, But they've just announced this week, as James released, um, the the story that they're going to start packaging, but they're going to be uh, brewed
0: uh, not in Byron Bay. Uh, The beers that we had that we were... Look, like nothing comes out of Byron Bay, does it, at the actual Byron Bay Brewery?
2: Oh, uh, I, I reckon those no, – no, certainly they've they've been, since pretty much the beginning, they've been making kegs that have gone outside the brewery. Since, when I say since the beginning, I mean since Lyon took over. Um, so, yeah, but I can't tell you whether – in fact, I, I would say almost certainly if there were four beers there, they would have all pretty much come from Byron Bay because the Hazy One's the only one that's been brewed uh, site and that's only started recently. And that's at cam- a Camperdown.
1: Well, well, that's where I want to clarify it.
2: Is that right, James? That that's coming out of the malt shovel in Sydney. Mm, don't think so. Uh, look, unless been I mean, uh, look, I, I don't think so. I, I'm pretty sure that that's just all coming from Byron Bay. We just had a few
0: comments, uh, sort of saying that the Byron Bay Shire wouldn't allow them to to wholesale. So the the beers that were brewed there were only available at the brewery.
2: Nah, well I mean I, I interviewed Gordon Trainer for that story and certainly it was part of the conversation that you know when they took over um, the brewery that it wasn't at capacity, it wasn't even quite clo- close to capacity and they've built the volumes not only through selling the Byron Bay brewed beer over the bar there but also through venues in um, southeast Queensland and in you know Byron surrounds so that's certainly not the case.
1: Yeah, and and I'd actually like to find out um, a little bit more about that because that was my understanding that the former Byron Bay brewery was always the uh, fellow who built it, built a brewery. But then the council said, well, you can't wholesale beer off site because that changed the nature of, you know, it made it a much more industrial site for where it is. Um, And so that was why he, he was always a little bit constrained in what he could do. Um, because you couldn't sell beers from Byron Bay to Brisbane and you certainly couldn't package and can on site. So whether Lion has successfully negotiated with Byron Bay that they're allowed to sell draft beer further afield, um, it's probably worth uh, looking into. But, I mean, look, the, the other thing is, you know, wh- whether that's the case or not, the, the, the problem with CUB was always they made the very big uh, suggestion or hint um, that it ultimately got them into trouble was that even the beers that were canned and packaged um, and sent around Australia were brewed in Byron Bay? They had a map of um, Byron Bay on the carton with an arrow pointing to the brewery, um, and nothing anywhere suggested that it wasn't brewed there. And that was why they got into trouble. Lion has come out; um, they've gotten on the front foot. They've announced that it's being brewed off-site. You know, so there's no hint or suggestion that they're doing otherwise. And. You know that that's their model you know that they they did it with kosiosko they built a little brewery a five or six hundred liter brewery up in jindabyne very quickly outgrew that venue started brewing in camperdown and i think it might still be in camperdown but um byron bay that's the model and the newly opened uh, umundi brewery that i believe opens tonight will be exactly the same they've got a a 1200 liter brewery up there Um, it's set up to do double batches but they're very quickly hoping that it's going to outgrow that site and they'll probably brew it at Milton in, in Forex. And, you know, it, it's one of the great debates you have when you've got a beer named after a site. Should it be named that way? Um, should, should it be named after the location when you intend to brew it off-site? But, uh, you know, the, the point I made off-air was, um, you know, I don't think anyone really thinks that Maggie Beer is slaving away in the kitchen making everything that she makes under her name. But her name is a guarantee of quality and that it's to her recipes but you know she's faxing off an order to whatever commercial kitchen produces it under order for her and but, but that's probably a little bit
0: know. different Matt, in that she's not saying uh you know maggie beers adelaide hills chutney and then and then getting it made you know in in thomastown
1: but but isn't isn't the Where, brand so promise the same her
0: name is a little bit different to a location
1: but is, isn't the brand um, promise the same Where like if she's if she goes to the effort to put her name on it it's saying this is mine. This is my recipe. Um, and but people get a little bit disappointed as well when they go to a like a a, a hatted restaurant and there is a certain chef who has made a name and yet you never
0: see him in the kitchen. No, and he's not there. Dunkin' Fries and 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 know, he's not exactly. And he's but he's not even
1: there supervising.
2: Are you telling me Jamie Oliver's not oh, in the kitchen God. of every Jamie Oliver's Jamie's <laughs> Italian in Australia? Yeah. No, no, we'll we'll talk about that and and Santa Claus later,
0: James. <laughs>
1: And, and look, that's the great tension in, in in marketing. At what stage are you presenting a deceptive um, you know, marketing spiel? And I, you know, I, I think the, the strength of a local brand is that people you know, associate with that location, and uh, that's why Lion Strategy is very, very clever. Um, and if you know, if they make it clearly av- you know, available to people that it's not brewed on site and people still choose to believe it. Um, we had that great chat with, um, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, the, the the marketing fellow that we had on Brew & Transfer. Pete, he was with Cummins. Oh, yeah, partners, uh, from, the, from, um, the, from the actual Brew & Transfer. Um, Adam, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Adam Ferrier?
2: Adam Ferrier.
1: Adam Ferrier, that's it. Um, yeah, we, we had a chat with Adam Ferrier a couple of years ago, and we talked about exactly this issue. And, you know, he, his view as a consumer psychologist is that, People want to be deceived to an extent, um, or that they, they willingly participate in the fraud. Allow, yeah, um, yeah. It, it, oh, no, I'm Sorry, fraud is the, is the wrong word. They 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 willingly participate in the charade because it's the way it makes them feel, and they you know they let themselves feel that certain products are better than others because it lets them feel a little bit more um, deceptive. Now, I, I, I know James, we, we chatted off air, and guys like Ben Krause have very strong views, and and I agree, you know. I, Um, with his point of view. But at the same time, I I can't see that Lion is doing anything wrong um, because people are willing to make themselves a party to that charade.
2: Well, Ben Ben argues that, you know, your average consumer, um, you know, should know, should know without a shadow of a doubt that the beer is being made in West End in Adelaide um, from reading the label. And um, he sort of was saying to me just that, they're, they're being, he called it kind of transparent, which is just basically that they they sort of um, give it, you know, a, a uh, their message is that it's, it's, it's brewed in, in Byron, but also in other locations around Australia. And his point is that that would still leave an average consumer under the impression that maybe the beer that is in that can has come from Byron Bay when it hasn't. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the point that I made to him as well is that, it you know, what Lion is doing is still a higher standard of transparency than what a lot of independent brewers um, are adhering to. And it's Ben's belief that, you know, it should be a requirement to say on the on the label of the beer where the beer was brewed and by whom. So if it was brewed by a contract brewer, it should say, you know, the name of the contract brewer and also the location, which, you know, that might be interstate in the case of some um, contract brewed Brands, but that's uh, that's you know an issue that the IBA hasn't been able to come to a uniform view on.
1: And 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 that was a point that when the Byron Bay thing was raised, that was the point I made. I said, look, you know, it, it's very hard for small brewers to point the finger at Byron Bay when they're willingly complicit in this sort of thing. And you know, at that stage, Mountain Goat, um, you know, you, you could get the emission out of them that well we don't advertise the fact, but we don't hide the fact. And yet I would argue that they made it as hard as possible to find, you really had to be determined to find out where it was brewed, to find out where it was brewed, because they talked about an off-site location and things in the, in the very small fine print of their story. Um, and when you've got the guys who were seen as the leaders of the craft beer movement doing exactly that when they were still independent, it makes it very, very hard for the rest of the industry um, and, and then the other point of that is with so many brewers moving between production locations, so many small brewers, um, the argument that even the small brewers make is, well, we can't be too specific on our labels because if we're getting half a million labels or a quarter of a million labels or even 100,000 labels printed and then we change suppliers or we see a supplier go go broke, then we have to throw out our labels as well. And there's a huge cost involved in that. So there are a whole lot of dynamic. Well, Ben. You know, from purest point of view is correct you, you're still going to find a whole lot of um, independent brewers who want to do the right thing finding arguments for why you can't do the right thing anyway
2: yeah absolutely yep and
0: Matt by the sound of it Queensland beautiful one day pissing down the next that's uh, pretty much uh, how it is Prof yes <laughs> uh, luckily we had 10 days of sunshine last yeah, week that's it exactly speaking of pissing around uh, we need to keep moving our uh, last topic of conversation and possibly our juiciest um, ding 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 Thunder Road versus uh, Stonewood Pacific Ale round, possibly five, but four in the public sphere.
2: Discuss. The jury's still out, or the the uh, the the bench is still um, adjourned, uh, whatever you want to say about the, um, you know, that passing off, misleading, and deceptive conduct case, which Stonewood appealed to the federal court, um, that was heard in February. So we're still waiting on the ruling of that. But then. Uh, In parallel, Thunder Road um, has appealed the ruling of the Trademarks Office that cleared the way for Stonewood to register the Pacific Ale trademark. And so that appeal has also gone to the federal court. So the federal court um, has two matters uh, relating to Pacific Ale currently in uh, process at the moment. And actually the first hearing, the first case management hearing for that trademark dispute uh, is tomorrow morning in Melbourne
0: and the one thing that this particular round has uh, has thrown up that um, i took particular interest in is the, the haters coming out and 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 taking an opportunity to to have a pot shot at both beers and um on the, the the bruise news facebook page there are quite a few comments most of which were considered and thoughtful and a couple of which just um weren't um and <laughs> particularly people who go oh yeah well you know despite the fact that uh you know the stone and wood is completely overrated beer well i'll just stop you there champ because By any measure, whether it's AIBAs, whether it's World Beer Cup, whether it's um, Critics' Choice, whether it's the Hottest 100, or just, you know, so public, critical, technical acclaim, it is a very popular beer and therefore not overrated. By any measure, it's a popular beer, but one that you don't happen to like. That's not the same thing. So I hope that's not a snark or or a prof's pot shot.
1: But you know. Oh no! No That's a, that's, a, that's a that's a very appropriate snark, and you know that that's something. You don't have to like beers, and that's fine. And you know if you want to get onto Facebook in your little cool kids group, um, and say, look, I don't Excel, like man. this beer, um, <laughs> um, and say I don't like this beer because it doesn't appeal to my taste. That's fine. Um, but. If you're going to damn a beer for all, and you, you've pointed out a lot of reasons um, that just shows that, you know, that style of beer, because they, they were just criticising that style of beer, then you are just at risk of disappearing up your own ass. And you're also doing more damage to beer as a category because a lot of people get a lot of pleasure from beers in that flavour spectrum. And you know, which raises the, the question Prof, that I, I hear a lot these days. Um, oh, it's a good entry-level beer, or it's a good um, such-and-such, as if, you know, there is a natural progression from that beer and you can't just sit and discover that beer and say, you know what, I love this beer, this is going to be the beer that I have for the rest of my life and then that you've right. failed in some way.
0: This is going to be my, yeah, my, my, my VB of a previous life where it's just, oh, I found something I like and I'm just going to stick with it. And the other thing on that too, Matt, how many people did we speak to who you'd give them a sniff of, oh, no, that's too strong. Have you got something a bit, you know? So for some people, yeah. that lifted hop aroma, the, 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 you know, essence and personality of Galaxy is is too much it's it, it goes way beyond entry level that's something that they're going to have to work their way up to and they might do it through a four pines colch or a, um, a green beacon wayfarer wheat um, which were some of the other beers that we sort of used to i guess you know entry level
1: and then the other thing is some of them won't even do that prof some of them are going to be quite happy you know being the last living forex drinker yeah
0: and, yeah, and, and, yeah. and, and thanks and, thanks for giving me those tasters but you know what i'm going back to what i know
1: yeah and good luck to them um, yeah, I'd exactly. still much rather they were drinking, uh, you know, Forex and some,
0: uh, you know, shitty RTD. That's it. And look, on that note, to our listeners, um, comments, keep them coming. Uh, if you'd like to send us reviews or if you'd like to send us a, an email uh, about uh, anything that we've mentioned about the news of the week on Radio Brews News or if you'd like uh, a topic to be discussed, flick us a message, uh, send us a Facebook um, post uh, or whatever and we'll, uh, we'll do our best to... Uh, I guess, dissect and um, uh, uh, and and look carefully at it.
2: And I think um, we were we were also just very quickly. I know we've um we've gone on for a bit but we were going to talk about the launch in australia of um, of Virtual, which is uh, possible's new spin-off um, equity crowdfunding platform, uh, which, when it is able to on september twenty nine will apply for a financial services license um, so that it will be able to offer equity crowdfunding, which, is certain to be taken up with great vigour by a lot of Australian breweries um, who've certainly, you know, shown an interest in it and but haven't been able to to date. And that, that uh, launch coincides with a, an interesting report by the uh, English beer writer Martin Cornell, who's been on this program previously, I believe, um, who just looks into the history of uh, uh, equity, equity-based crowdfunding of breweries in the UK and he sort of found that it, uh, so once you got past the, the um, you know the celebrated uh, cases like Brewdog and Camden Town that actually uh, there were a lot of companies that um, crowdfunded and then didn't execute what they said they were going to do um, very well at all and lost uh, a lot of the investors' money and, and he actually makes he, that report is worth going through. but in, in a blog on his, um, on his own site, he was actually a bit more direct. Um, In his appraisal of crowdfunding, he he had this to say, he said, given the general lack of form available on those asking you to fund their dreams, fanboy investing is actually worse than most forms of gambling. At least when it comes to the 230 at Haydock Park, you can see how the horse has performed in the past. Few startup brewers have ever begun a company before to let you gather some idea of their business savvy. And he also quotes um, Justin Hawke of a Bristol brewery called More Beer as saying, it's a largely unregulated and unknown way of investing used by people who a bank wouldn't lend to because they don't have a sound business model. It allows hobbyists to entertain their notions. Brewdog would point to themselves as the exception, but a lot have failed and will fail in the not-too-distant future. So, yeah, fairly damning assessment of of, uh, equity-based crowdfunding. But then when I sort of put all that to... Dan Norris of Black Hops, who has really been calling for equity-based uh, crowdfunding in Australia, he just made the point that look, yeah, there are a lot of failures, but a lot of startups fail in any industry, and it's actually even worse in tech. You know, the tech industry um, investors will invest in you know ten different companies in the hope that one of them comes off. Um, and so he was saying that you know there's going to be uh, there's going to be a lot of failures with any any equity-based crowdfunding. Um, but there's also going to be some successes as well so I thought that was fairly uh, probably fair to say
1: yeah and and Dan is a really really um, like he's a militant um, startup you know entrepreneur guy and uh, you know and, and he writes some books about startups and things like that and he's been you know black ops is a startup so you know he's he's very much immersed in that world um, and he, he's right but at the same time you know you do, you do worry about uh, people whose enthusiasm outstrips their financial savvy, or even their, um, you know, risk a- a analysis, potentially losing a lot of money, um, or you know, l- losing their nest egg. So, as with any form of gall- uh, gambling,
0: never bet more than you uh, can afford to lose. Very wise, sage words, Matt. And on that note, we might uh, wrap up this edition of Radio Bruce News. Episode, what are we up to? I think one thirty-seven. Does that sound about right? One, 138.
2: Or is it one thirty-eight. One thirty-eight.
1: Yeah, no, we we did miss one. Cool. We uh, last week with we thought the uh, hectic. So sorry, listeners. Uh, we for for the um, unintended silence last week.
2: Yeah, well, with all the uh, congratulating each other, I would have thought that would be the first thing that you would have said um, uh, about Echo. Was uh, sorry, listeners, that it meant we didn't get an episode out.
1: Prof actually saw just how uh, hard it was to get an episode out last week, so I think he was a little bit kinder on me this week. <laughs>
0: Just a little bit and it won't happen again. Um, so, now, James, this week on Beer is a Conversation, as our listeners uh, handballed from Radio Brews News over to that particular platform, um, a cracking – and and look, in in 425 rude words or less, um, Blair Hayden, how many F-bombs did he drop? Actually, he, none. Had, he, really?
2: No, he, he, kept it, he kept it very decent. I think there was an oh. S-bomb, but that's fairly uh, – you know that's fairly. We, we won't get too upset about that. But no, he he was um he was fine, and um yeah, he, he I thought it was quite an interesting chat. He's he's just he's a very happy man at the moment with a lot of with a recent recognition that he's had after you know thirty years of toiling down at the pub there in in uh, the rocks and making craft beer a lot longer a long time before the craft beer boom uh, started that. Um, you know, he's in the last twelve months. He's won a lot of awards. Uh, he won the um, the Legend Award at the Sydney Craft Sydney Craft Beer Week last year, and then he won the Legend Award at the Craft Beer Awards this year. Um, he's won Best Wine List at the Wine List of the Year Awards uh, for the pub two years running, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, best Best Pub Wine List. Um, so yeah, he, that and the forefathers' beer, which we spoke about earlier, that sort of, that's and all of these other awards occasioned uh, us having a bit of a chat to him on what's been happening at the Lord. Yeah, so we won't
0: give away too much, but um, I, I think it's fair to say that Blair was one of those publicans who I'm going to brew my own beer in in, um, in sort of protest at the fact that you know there there isn't a range of beer available through you know the the duopoly that existed. Um, and thirty years in in hospitality in the one place and in uh, look he, he does, and I'm sure he would admit have the advantage of being in uh, the pub that is, I think it 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 claims it's the longest continual continually licensed venue in Australia. Does it sound about th- right, James? I don't know. If I think that's
2: right. I think that's right. There's two. There's two pubs in the Rocks. Lord Nelson's one that have, both have different claims on which is the oldest, and I forget. There's just slightly different ways that they. Yeah. That
0: there's they, one just uh, around the corner that that's that's,
2: an, that's perhaps an older building, but but hasn't. I think
1: it's the Fortunes of War, isn't
2: it? Yeah, it might be the Fortunes yeah. of War, but but it, it hasn't op- operated continuously. I think that's that's your point. Yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah. Whereas the Lord Nelson has has been a a licensed pub for that for that whole and i, I think we're talking we're we talking 120 years or something like that and um 30 years that that blair's continually run it as a as a brew pub and you look at you know, billy bells in south melbourne who kind of did the same thing you know can't get the nice beer or you know the, the cb and they're screwing me on price or whatever and and giving me you know narrow range of products i'm going to do my own and that was great for a while but that that didn't last whereas um yeah the the lord nelson has so so well done to them and uh, yes yeah, so, i Listeners, make sure you uh, find some time to get across and uh, and listen to James's cracking uh, chat with Blair Hayden without the rude words. And on that note, gents, uh, we will see you next week. We've got a few guests lined up. I think we're going to be talking to a couple of award-winning brewers and also something a little bit different for some of our listeners. There's just a little bit of a teaser, uh, something that's not necessarily uh, a brewer or a supplier or a publican. There we go. Uh, James, thanks very much for joining us. Have a good week. Thanks, Prof. Matt? what i said to james but with matt have a good week thanks pete no worries at all mate uh thanks listeners and uh as we strike up the band uh have a good week drink widely drink fresh drink local and know where your beer comes from and we'll see you next week